Hello and welcome to The Artist Appeals. I'm your host, Erin Sparler, and in this podcast, we talk about the business of art. We talk about how to make money with your art. In fact, this podcast is focused on the seven steps to make money with your art. We talk about art, product, presentation, educating your audience with story, amplifying through automation, licensing and contract terms, simplified in plain English, and success. How do you measure it? How do you find it? In an attempt to put all this in context, we have been interviewing everybody we can get our hands on from photographers to designers, quilt makers, collectors, CEOs of big craft companies, editors-in-chiefs of famous art magazines, um, fine artists, everybody and anybody. We talk to them all seeking the secret sauce to how to make a living with your art. I'm glad you've decided to join me and I hope you'll enjoy today's episode. So welcome, welcome to The Artist Appeals. In this episode, we're going to talk with an art agent. Now, you might be asking, what is an art agent? An art agent is somebody who works with artists to present their artwork to manufacturers. They oftentimes have contacts with manufacturing companies that we don't have. They get your artwork onto products, and they tend to be specialized. They tend to focus on a particular niche. They might represent artists to the wall art decor vertical. Um, they might represent artists to the kitchen and home decorating vertical. And when we say vertical, we just mean that particular niche of the product market. So in this episode, we talk to an art agent. Now there are art agents that represent hundreds of artists, large art agencies, or there are smaller art agents who represent just a select group of artists. And in this episode, we speak with a woman who represents 16 artists. She started her art agency and um, in the early 2000s and shares so much amazing information about the art licensing industry in this episode. So I'm very excited to share with you a one-of-a-kind interview with Julie Ager. Hey Julie, how's it going? It's going pretty well. Good morning. Good morning. I'm excited to have you on the, the show. Now, you are a little bit different because you are creative, but you are a managing creative. So you're an art agent, right? That's right. That's so cool. What's your company's name? Artistic Designs Group. When did you start Artistic Design? Uh, excuse me. When <laughs> did you start Artistic Design Groups? <laughs> we, getting my S's wrong. No, okay. We started back Near the end of 2007, going into 2008. So we decided to start a company right in the middle of the downturn. So <laughs> we knew there's only one way you can go from there, and that's up. That I love that positive attitude. <laughs> Why did you start an art licensing agency? What was the catalyst? Was there something that happened that you were like, I've got to do this? Because that's a big leap. It, it really is. And I actually come from a little bit different approach 
approach to this career. Um, mm-hmm. We had, I had been working for a company where I was on the road probably 80 to 85% of the time. Wow. Loved the job, loved wow. it. Had some international travel and everything, and it just thoroughly enjoyed it. But we wanted to start a family, and that is not conducive to starting a family. So mm-hmm. um, we, um, I retired from that, but after a few years was getting pretty bored. <laughs> and so I was looking around for opportunities and had an artist friend that said, Hey, I've been wanting to get into art licensing. What do you think about representing me there? Oh. And so I really had no idea what was going on, what it was all about. And so made a trip up to the licensing expo and mm-hmm. Basically, came to the conclusion, my background is in the data side. It's analyzing customer behavior mm-hmm. and analyzing retailer and manufacturer behavior. Oh. And so it there was a lot of crossover. Yeah, that's a good fit. It was somewhat overwhelming because mm-hmm. um, I am not an artist. I, I dabble in art. Mm-hmm. I've, you know, done classes with different artists and I have my foot in the door. Um, it started out as a family business. Um, I, your the, husband went in with you too. Actually my mother. Oh, um, your mom he is an artist. And, um, so we had the creative and the, um, uh, business analytical side there. And mm. so it, it was somewhat, um, interesting, <laughs> pretty heavy duty learning curve there. Yeah, so much of it is similar. Um, Understanding what consumers are buying and why, and also Mm -hmm. it's relationship building. It's learning and growing and working in those relationships with different customers. So it, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, Yeah, I don't think I've ever worked in an industry that is just so genuine and so welcoming. Um, So had a lot of help. learning the industry and hopefully can turn around and share that back with some other people that are getting into it. That's fantastic. That's so sweet to hear you say that about the field because it is a big learning curve and, but it is really supportive and it's, it's amazing. So how many artists do you rep now? Right now we are representing 16 artists. Um, That's really the biggest we've ever gotten. We're never going to be a huge, um, agency partially because my ideal would be if I'm representing artists and they can each make a living under that umbrella. Mm-hmm. And in order to do that, you really have to focus on developing each of the artists. Mm-hmm. And we're kind of at the cusp of that being very, um, if you get much bigger than this, it's not going to be conducive to being able to do that. Yeah. So, um, we represent 16 artists right now. We are a fairly traditional art licensing agency. Mm-hmm. We aren't going to be your cutting edge, um, high tech look type art agency. We, mm-hmm. um, our main customer group is middle America um, with some European influences in there as well. But interesting, um, it's about, it's about the right size. If anything, maybe I uh, don't mean to stumble there. Um, <laughs> That's all right. I think we're at about the point where we can um, do that. We're starting to grow. 
um, from staff standpoint. And um, I'm excited I, for this coming year. Yeah, Julie, I think that's a perfect fit for a lot of artists who need that extra attention and that would really appeal to them. You know, a smaller agency is able to give you so much more um, in feedback, in ways, you know, in guidance, um, you know, in trend reporting. I just, I think that's fabulous that you can provide that hands-on and, and a real focus um, on your artists and helping them create a living from their work. That, that is phenomenal. So an art agent, for people that don't know, is somebody that helps you get your art licensed onto products, right? That's correct. So what kind of products do you specialize in? Because I had never learned this before. When I started getting into the art licensing a number of years ago, I didn't realize that there were agents that focused on specific niches. Um, I've since learned that. You know, I have my work with a guy that is specialized specifically on wall decor, you know, reproductions, large scale. What is your product niche? We basically focus on the products that you're going to find in mom and pop and big box stores. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't have a tiny niche because we do do a broad swath of products. We do both paper cool. products, soft goods like your pillows and your comforters and mm-hmm. hard goods, which are more your gift core items. We stay away from publishing as in books, uh, written books or, um, illustrated books. We also stay away from um, hospitality. Yeah. Occasionally broken out into those, but we tend to focus mostly on what you're going to find in a mom and pop store or box. Well, you know, the books is considered a whole nother um, segment of the art world. It's it's really kind of considered um, illustration or even editorial illustration, right? That's correct. And um, yeah, it's exciting, but I really think if you're going to get in that arena, you need to be a little bit more focused there. Yeah. I actually just took a class with um, another art agent that that is her specialty. I wanted to see what her class was on editorial illustration. And it was fun, but I don't think it's, it's not for everybody because you're trying to draw somebody else's vision. You're trying to translate words into visuals. And that takes a really interesting mindset and a, a specific, um, a specific artistic talent, you know? Absolutely. It's exciting, but you do have to stay focused there. Yeah, totally. So I love um, products, and we always talk about product ladders um, in here. Well, not always, but I like to kind of touch on the idea that as an artist, you need to have multiple revenue streams. And that means you have to have several different product offerings and you should really have something kind of at like a low price point, a medium price point, a high price point, um, you know, say like commission work or originals all the way down to like postcards and stuff. Now, as an art agent, do you, um, you're the link between artists and the manufacturer. Um, how do you find manufacturers to work with and you know what would you what advice would you give to artists trying to kind of build out that product ladder and and make a living from products 
That's an interesting question. Um, <laughs> I, I honestly, and I don't mean to sound evasive on this, but I think it really depends on the artist. Of course. I think that would be a little bit different for each of our artists. Um, some of our artists fill out that ladder with things like Etsy, mm-hmm. uh, one-off print-on-demand type products. And so, you don't have a problem with that. I don't. Um, we, right. We're trying to be very cautious about if you have a piece of artwork that we're going to be working heavily with a manufacturer on, that's mm-hmm. probably not the piece of artwork to focus on, but I have no product problem with it in general. Right. Uh, some of our artists uh, fill that out using children's book illustration, you know, so it really kind of depends on the artist, mm-hmm. um, depending on who your target market is for your particular style and the themes that you develop. Um, but there are quite a number of alternative um, revenue streams that can be combined with licensing. You just yeah. have to honor the commitments that you have with your licensors. Exactly. Well, and I think licensing is a fabulous um, revenue stream, but it's slow. It's a slow start. It's not always um, instantaneous, right? It takes a long time to make the work and to get the contracts. How long would you say it takes to start seeing revenue from um, licenses in your experience? In my experience, I think you're realistically looking at nine months to a year before you start seeing any realistic Mm-hmm. Uh, string coming in. Um, the length of time that you were talking about depends a lot on the medium that's being mm. used. So in other words, if you're doing a lot of stationary products, those are paper products. A lot of them are manufactured in the United States. So the time from when you present a piece of artwork to when that artwork is actually into the stores is shorter than if you're dealing with something that is um, 3D, for example, right? Is having to sculpt something, and um, maybe it's being manufactured outside the U.S. The timeline mm-hmm. on that's going to be longer. So I think realistically, and and we have had situations where an artist came right out of the box and hit it off with somebody, and it came to market right away. But I think realistically, you're looking at nine months to a year. You can't see me, but I'm nodding. I'm like, mm hmm. So, presentation. How do you go out there and present the work? You know, we use this acronym to keep these interviews in order. So, we talk about art, making the art, we talk about product. And then I like to talk about presentation. And I normally put that after product. Um, even though, you know, it almost seems like it should be before. But the reason I do that is because you've got two stages of presentation. You've got to present to the art agent or to the manufacturer. You've got, and then you've got to present the finished product as well. So um, how do you like to have artwork presented to you? And how do you present it to your clients? Good question. Um, Let's start with how I like to see it presented to me. Yeah. Um, We get quite a number of submissions each week. And some of it is absolutely beautiful, stunning work, Mm -hmm. but maybe not appropriate for what we do. Mm -hmm. Um, 
one of the things that you'll find in art licensing, in a lot of product lines, you need to have enough flexibility within the artwork that you create so that it can be adapted to various uh, products. Mm -hmm. So what I like to see in artwork that's presented to me is I like my ideal artist submission would be (laughs) somebody that shows an understanding of what is being sold right now. Mm -hmm. Uh, And to present that they need to show, let's say, let's say that they are focusing on birds for example, Uh they need to show that you not only need the birds, but you also need elements that go along with the birds. Um, Uh So let's say, for instance, somebody wanted to make a, uh, let's say a dining set, a tabletop set. Okay. So tablecloth and a runner and um, napkins and all that good stuff, all coordinated, right, with the birds. Maybe that, maybe uh, plates, maybe serving utensils. Oh, yeah. Maybe something as um, like a butter knife or or salt and pepper shakers or that type of thing. Okay. So there needs to, within each grouping that they present, there needs to be a variety of elements. That can be the birds, that can be the environment that the birds are in, that can be some patterns that go along with the birds, that can mm-hmm. be an order that goes along the outside of a piece or at the bottom of a tea towel or something like that. Mm-hmm. They need to know that that bird can't be like a... Standalone. It can't be a standalone, but also thematically, they need to know that somebody's not going to want a predatory bird on their plate or on their <laughs> Okay. You don't want an eagle ripping a rabbit apart? <laughs> For some reason, it just doesn't go over well, you know? Um, Yummy. <laughs> so it needs to be, they need to show an understanding of how these things are going to be used. And that's normally done by showing a variety of elements that go along with that theme and make sure that they are appropriately addressing the most likely use. Right. Do you like so, to see the product already mocked up so do you like to see the artwork already on like two-dimensional or three-dimensional products coming into me that's not important um, okay i if i can't figure that out i'm not doing my job <laughs> but um but there are times when we may once an artist is on board and we're presenting to a manufacturer or a retailer that might be something that's important in that particular instance for one to get across the idea of where you're going with it, to give them mm-hmm. ideas for thought. Most art directors, again, can figure that out from looking at something, but it never hurts to have that extra effort put in to show how it might all live in somebody's home. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that is awesome. So you like to see collections, thematic collections with couple of images and then a couple of borders and a couple of uh, extras all kind of as a grouping as a collection right ideally yes and do you have collections on your website that people could go and look at for visual examples From a normal consumer standpoint, probably not. I do have a library where our partners can get into. Okay. Um, And this is is how you present to manufacturers, right? Correct. 
All um, right, let's roll with that question. Next. <laughs> and for, for the listeners, I will find some examples of collections and put them down below. That would be great. I'll be happy to help you with that. Cool. Um, as far as presenting to manufacturers, first thing, first of all, you've got to figure out what products does that manufacturer develop, and then they normally have, I'd say, seventy-five percent of the people that we work with, they have a map that they've laid out for the year of what they're going to be doing this year, mm. and so it's taking a look at that, what their goals are, comparing that to our artist producing some ideas from what our artists have and then presenting that to the manufacturer. Mm. And how do you get hooked up with manufacturers? How do you get past those gatekeepers to present to them? Good question. Um, when I first entered the industry, the most common place to do that were at the trade shows. Right. That has changed over the years. I'd say, you know, I'm very thankful that we came in when we did because that is much more difficult for folks right now. Mm. Um, you, there are so many times my family laughs at me when we're out shopping because I'm the <laughs> one that's going down the aisle and flipping the product over and saying, okay, who's manufacturing this? And um, basically doing research there. We've got a number of clients we work with over 200 clients right now. And wow. so there's a lot of those that just over time you develop those relationships. Mm -hmm. um, it is difficult um, getting past the gatekeepers sometimes, yeah. but um, it's persistence. It's um, taking advantage of every opportunity you have to connect with them. Um, and it's just research, um, figuring out um, where does my artwork fit in? Um, do I do a similar style to what these people um, manufacture? And But am I different enough that they're not going to say, oh, that's just like Susie that we do right now? Mm. Um, so it's research, it's persistence, it's relationship building. Mm -hmm. um, that's the one thing that I found very much in common with where I come from in the in the data analysis world is it's so much a relationship business. Um, yeah. They need to know that you can be relied on. They need to know that you understand their business. Mm -hmm. um, and that doesn't come right out of the box. It takes a little yeah. bit of time to develop. Yeah. It's business. So how do you go about educating um, your artists and your clients um, I hear on the podcast quite a lot that one of the best forms of reaching out to people and networking and educating um, people is through workshops or teaching. Um, how do you, as an art agent, incorporate, um, essentially education is marketing. How do you incorporate marketing and education and outreach into your daily workflow? Do you mean educating our artists or educating the public about us? Um, well, I actually mean, how do you, yeah, let's start with artists. So how do you um, share information about what manufacturers need with your artists? A couple of ways. Um, we have a private Facebook page that's just for our artists where we share trends that we come across, where we share what our customers are looking for right now. Oh, cool. um, where we show, if I find um, coursework that is 
I feel like is educational. I'll share it there. Mm. Um, we also have monthly um, Zoom calls um, mm-hmm. that have been going on. Just as we just started those this past year, they've been going on for close to a year now. Um, where we'll talk through, you know, what are you working on? What what is working right now? Um, we will bring in guest art directors from different companies to share what they look for. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's cool. That sounds like some good information. Um, and then how do you do or manage your outreach to your clients? You said that you've got over 200 manufacturers um, that you're working with. And I did talk to another art agent um, in season two, season two of the podcast. Anyways, um, you know, they were talking about um, communicating with the manufacturers. 200 manufacturers is a lot of manufacturers to stay in front of. Absolutely it is. And that is an ever-evolving process. Uh But we do it in a couple of ways right now. Um, We will send out new artwork um, via email. Um, We do have a newsletter. Um, We will... One of the things I've worked on over the last few months is making the outreach process a little bit more efficient. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've, it's critical that you've got some kind of a customer relationship manager that you use that says, okay, because you will never remember to outreach to the people that you need to outreach right? Uh, without it. Um, I keep CRM, people, that's uh, yeah. abbreviated CRM. It's a content relationship manager it's basically like an email program what do you guys use well actually the email program is something separate from that in my okay. eye um what this i use a combination of a program called um market circle um mm-hmm. as well as some calendar links into it mm. um, we over the course of time you get a feeling for each customer's schedule. So you make sure that you've got a tickler in there that says, okay, I know at this point in time in the year, they're going to be looking for A, B, or C. Mm-hmm. And um, so you make sure that you've got something in there that triggers your thoughts to reach out to them at the appropriate times. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there is email links into it that, you know, you can, you know, send them an update or make sure that they, if there's a an artist that that customer likes that you keep them up to date on the newest artwork from that artist. Right. As well as opening their eyes to new artists that might come on board that might be appropriate for them that they haven't worked with before. Right. Right. Are you enjoying the artist appeals? I know I love recording it. This is just a quick break to encourage you to get your free download of the top four things that you can do to make money with your art at howtomakemoneywithyourart.com. So get your free download at howtomakemoneywithyourart.com today. And now back to your regular program. So when you're reaching out to your, um, your manufacturers and keeping track of what all these 200 manufacturers need, you're using a content management system. And, you know, I've seen some of them come up. They're more like for salespeople um, with this whole 
oh, it's like a whole system, right? It's 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 actually customer relationship management, and you'll see customer things like Salesforce right. and and different things. And there's a couple uh-huh. that have been internally developed in the industry. Um, one of which. Oh, really? But um, the key thing, I don't think it's as critical. You know, you'll find the one that works best for you and your style. Mm-hmm. But the key thing is knowing that you cannot keep up with all that information in your head and finding something that works with your style that um, will keep you on task. Yeah, that is so, so true. I've been researching marketing plans lately. I've been diving deep into how do you make an annual marketing plan? Um, And I just find it fascinating. And, you know, you can do it manually, too, if that's your thing. You know, I bought one of these big annual calendars and taped it to my refrigerator. It's probably three feet tall and two feet wide, and it shows you the whole year. So you can put in events and you can put in what you want to go to and, you know, when the kids are off. And then you can put in, okay, here's where I'm going to market this, this or this. So, yeah, you you got to just find a system that works for you and keeping in touch with people. Yeah. I, the the way that I t- approach it is if I'm, okay, let's say I'm working on Project A and I know that I need to check back in with them in two weeks on something or I know that there's an upcoming submission needed, I'll make sure that I have marked in there tick, what I refer to as ticklers just to remind me on this week or that day who I need to be outreaching to. I think that's the way that works best for me. Right, right. I love that. So amplifying. Amplifying is our next letter of the acronym of the appeals system. And it just stands for how do you get it all done? How do you do more without going crazy and working more? (laughs) How do you work most efficiently at it? Yeah. Yeah. I think it, I'm just sitting there thinking through that question. Um, I think the key thing that I have to do is keep in mind what my goal is. So if I know that one artist has been working very diligently to put out something new and fresh, Mm-hmm. I need to keep focused on, okay, what are my goals for getting that to the market and determining what the best steps are there. Um, I think it kind of really ties back into what we were saying about how we're working and making sure that you've broken that down into the steps that you need to do in order to make that happen. Mm. You know, it, it, it's not really anything magical. It's more just organization, I guess. Yeah. You know, it. I wish I had some kind of a magic, you know. <laughs> um, I think we all would. Uh, just, But it's more just staying on top of it and saying, okay, if I need to accomplish A, B, or C, how do I, what steps do I need to go through in order to do that? Yeah. And. I think it does go back to what we're talking about. You know, you can use technology, you can use apps, you can use visuals. You know, it really depends on your situation and what you prefer. Like I said, I I went to Michael's the other day and bought one of these huge calendar 
uh, wall calendars. I've got multiple calendars. I've got a big monthly calendar, a big weekly calendar, and now a big annual calendar so that you can break it all down. But that's just because I'm an artist and I like that visual color coding and I like having it right there in front of my computer. And then I use some digital stuff too. Right. Um, so I would have thought you, you would use more technical. I do. I use a combination of both. But so, I find that when I was doing it, on the calendars or on a to-do list or whatever that I ended up not getting um, as much done. Um, really? It, it seems, you know, for my personality style, it seems to work better for me to have it with these reminders triggering me. Right. Um, in fact, when we were talking earlier about I had a couple of dings coming in and I apologize guys um no problem but those were my reminders coming up to say okay here's what you need to be doing right now (laughs) I don't know if I could handle that interruption all the time I I need like these chunks of time to work and I get in the flow state and um, I get enough interruptions from family. <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully, I'm, I'm okay there. But yes, but and and I can't say that I'm always like responding to them. I, I but if I know that I've got a whole lot of calendar reminders coming up, I'll know to go back and check my calendar in an hour. Yeah, yeah. Well, I do do a combination of both. So I have everything synced to my iPhone. So I've got Gmail pulling into my iPhone and I've got the iCalendar. And then I also am using a new um, software called Lately, which is really cool for these podcasts where it extracts snippets of the audio Or if it's a video, it pulls little snippets of the video, overlays them with captions, and then allows you to edit those little clips and post them out to social media. So I'm using the more visual stuff for breaking down um, big chunks of time and and looking at, you know, what the marketing plan is going to be, but the digital for the actual implementation. Makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's really up to to the user. Now, do you, I like to ask people about conferences and networking, and that kind of goes here under Amplify, because I swear the best success I've always had, and still to this day, is personal connection and networking and getting out there and just meeting people, right? Right. I mean, we want to do everything through social media, but you can't. What are your favorite conferences for the art licensing industry that you love to go to, or maybe even some that aren't? Well, that's interesting because the minute you started along that topic, the first place my mind went to was we used to have probably 10 uh, shows that we went to a year. Mm-hmm. And what we were finding is that over the course of time, we have narrowed that down to maybe three that we um, go to on a regular basis. And why um, is that? Well, because I felt like the money was better spent actually visiting the clients. Cool. So um, COVID's not helping there any. <laughs> um, but basically the structure that we have in place right now is there are a couple of trade shows that we do. We do the Atlantic Gift Market. Mm-hmm. Um, we would like to find something comparable to that on the West Coast because I think there is a different audience there. Mm-hmm. But we haven't found one yet that works well. Las Vegas and what used to be in San Francisco and L.A. 
haven't necessarily done the trick yet. So we're still trying to find that, but we mm-hmm. do Anna's gift mark. We do quilt market because fabric is a por- good sizable portion of the business that we do. So there's a quilt market in the end of October, beginning of November down in Houston each year. And then occasionally we will throw in some of the other shows, international housewares or toys or, you know, specialty, depending on what we're working on that year. Mm. And you don't go to Surtag? Not anymore. Um, We have taken that money and applied it to um, getting on the road and getting one-on-one at the customer location. Oh, cool. Yeah, that's probably really effective. It really is. Um, Like you said, um, that one-on-one personal touch is so much more effective. Mm-hmm. And so that's not to say we won't again in the future, but mm-hmm. right now it's working better to get one-on-one. Yeah. Yeah. So now we come to one of the biggies where I'm so excited to hear what you have to say about this subject and that is licensing and contracts. <laughs> so, um, you are an art agent. Your whole job revolves around licensing. And, you know, I include this section because I think that when I first started down this road, contracts seemed so intimidating. Like they were, you know, in legalese speak, you know, jargon that a lawyer had to decipher. So I like to ask about some of the key terms or phrases or words that you should look for in contracts um, and understand and advice on that. Well, it's interesting because I think that is one of the key areas where an artist chooses to use an agent. Um, Mm -hmm. I want to put the caveat that you always hear at the beginning of this section is I'm not a lawyer. (laughs) I don't. (laughs) Um, but, but I do, noted. I do probably deal with contracts more than the norm, the, the other, an artist would. And, um, there are some key things you've absolutely got to watch out for. You don't ever in licensing, you do not ever want to transfer the copyright to somebody else. Mm-hmm. Um, what the concept on licensing is you are licensing a specific use for a specific time frame in a specific region to a specific customer. Oh, good advice. And so, first of all, you've got to keep track of who you've done that with so that you don't step on top of their toes. Um, so there's two key things. One is making sure that you've protected the artist's rights appropriately. And two, keeping track of where you've done that so you don't do it again for somebody and mm-hmm. so I think that's one of the key areas where an artist makes the decision, do I do this on my own or do I have an agent handle that part of it for me? Mm-hmm. For some people, they like both the right and the left side of their brains working on both the creative and the administrative, but that's not always true for all of the artists. Um, I would say probably majority of the artists would just as soon be able to create and not mess with that. And that's yeah. where but but the key thing those are the key factors is making sure who is getting what right to what work and where and um also making sure that you have some way of monitoring that and making sure of what's being done um 
yeah. people worry a lot about plagiarism. Uh-huh. I do not um, personally at our agency. There are only so much you can control there, I guess is what I yeah. Um, we obviously want to be careful. We want to protect an artist's artwork as well as we can, but you will never be able to hundred percent control that. Right. But what you want to do is you want to make sure that two things are happening. One is the artist is being compensated for their work appropriately. Mm -hmm. And two, that you minimize the risk of that plagiarism happening as much as you Mm -hmm. can. Well, and then, like you said earlier, three, keeping track of those contract uh, con- contracts. <laughs> Absolutely, that's critical. So that you don't overlap licenses and try and license a piece of artwork to two different manufacturers making the same thing. How do you track all that? Did you have a system for that? I do, and it's part of the, it's it's incorporated in the the customer relationship manager that we have. Um, so we know that on a date, this starts on a date, ends on a date. We know um, what product groupings it's being mm. done for. So anytime that um, somebody wants to license a product from one of our artists, the first thing I need to do is go back into our art tracker and say, okay, who is currently licensing that? And is there overlap? Um, and occasionally, um, for instance, we had a recent situation where we had two stationery companies that were using the same um, artwork, but we were carefully communicating with them, and they both were aware that both of them were doing it. And so mm-hmm. we, we had to granulate that a little bit. Um, okay, notepads are here. Um, journals are here. Um, mm-hmm. So that that did not overlap or cannibalize sales for either of those manufacturers. Wow. Really cool. And so your customer relationship manager software, is it actually called art tracker? No, it's not. It's, um, it's part of, um, my market circle. Um, and it basically, um, tracks companies, people, projects, opportunities, Fabulous. I didn't know they made a customer relationship manager specifically for art licensing or that there were multiples of them. That's the first I've ever heard of that. That's really cool. It's it's the one in market circle is not specific to art licensing, but I use the daylight module from them. Okay. And, um, but that's been, that was introduced to me by another art licensing agent a couple of years ago. I used to use a internally developed system. Um, uh-huh. That was just taking too much time to maintain and uh. and grow, um, but but they do have a system that is well acclimated. But there are others out there. Um, I know years ago, Tara Reed worked with somebody to put together a system for the art licensing world. I uh-huh. can't think of the name of the company right off the top of my head, but I know that um, Joel Branding has come up with one that is out there. Um, that I've been taking a look at. Um, there's a few that are tailored, but I think what you'll find mostly is ones that are a little bit more generic that you can tailor to your needs. Right, right. So if somebody was trying to do art licensing all on their own and they didn't have an art agent, I mean, really, the ticket is to 
have a system to organize your outreach, right? Absolutely. And one thing I can't emphasize too much, do that from the very beginning. Mm. Uh, I have seen so many artists that are a year or two into it and starting to get overwhelmed. And Hmm. the key is, even though it doesn't, it seems a little bit overkill at the very beginning. Right. But I recommend any artist that is considering getting into this to start out by having a file naming system, having a some kind of an um, just I don't know how to give details on it, but just make sure that you have a tracking system in place from day one. No, I totally hear you. What you're talking about is having a file naming convention is what it's called. And that's where you name everything the same all the time so that you can find things. Um, And for example, you guys, you might use. So for me, I use a pretty basic one of the year. So 2020 and then a dash a little middle dash, not underscore, but a little middle dash. And then I would use, um, a lot of times I'll use season. So I'll do SP for spring, SU for summer, FL for fall, WI for winter, because that kind of gives me some idea of um, what might be in the artwork, whether it's a photograph or a drawing. (laughs) Sometimes it's seasonal. And then another dash, and you might use like a location if you're a photographer. Um, So I might put in, you know, uh, Pennsylvania, PA, um, State Game Lens, if that's where I shot that series of photos or something like that. Or if it's artwork, I might put in fruit and vegetable. So subject. Um, And that's, you just want to stick to that consistently. You just want to make up some rules and stick to it. So file naming conventions, very important. A couple of um, comments on that. Um, Yeah. And this is just learned over the course of time. Um, You might consider not including the year or at least not letting that be your primary driver. The reason I say that is one thing you learn is over time, your artwork will evolve as well as the trends will recycle. Mm. So you don't want to date your artwork or at least not use that when you're sharing it with somebody Mm -hmm. Um, because a a simple color tweak or a little bit of tweak to a collection can bring it to life again. Mm. Um, So just that's one thought. And then the other thing I'm learning right now is that I wish I had, I don't know how many of you use metadata, but there's these little tags that are attached to your artwork. Mm-hmm. And the one thing I wish I had done a better job of is starting from day one, attaching that metadata to my artwork. Because mm-hmm. once you get to a large scale, it's a little bit difficult to go back and do that. And mm-hmm. it's things like, okay, how do I find frogs? How do mm-hmm. I find um, daisies? Um mm-hmm different things that you might be looking for. So that's another thought too, is I don't know that I would include it in your file name, but there is something called metadata. And anybody that uses the Adobe suite is probably familiar with 
a yeah. program called Lightroom, and they've got a really easy way to access that metadata on your files. Oh, yeah, I love so Lightroom. That's another thing to consider doing from early on is yeah. attacking that so that you can, you know, first year, you'll be able to know where all your daisies are. Yeah. Well, you- Several years down the road, you won't. Yeah. Yeah, I use Lightroom a lot. I love it. And um, actually, that file naming convention that I mentioned, I use that for my top folder structure. Um, And then the actual file names are actually a little different. They don't incorporate the year at all. Um, They can be significantly different. A lot of times, they're just the original photograph file name. But then once they are prepped for use by anybody, to my agent or stuff like that, then they get renamed to file my agents, follow my agents' um, file naming conventions because he has very strict uh, requirements for his file naming conventions. And once you start working in Lightroom, it is fabulous. You can import a whole batch of photos from anywhere on your hard drive and give them all metadata at the same time so you can add copyright notice and um, Right, your name as the artist and the location all to a hundred or two hundred or five hundred images in one fell swoop. So that's fabulous. Yeah. But once you start working in Lightroom, you got to stick to it. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, or whatever tool you choose to use. Yes. Um, and I think that's. I think things like that are a little bit intimidating for artists sometimes that are not yeah. used to working in that world. But honestly, guys, it's really not that bad. No, it's it's just finding a tool that makes it easy for you to do, and that's and Lightroom yeah. is one example of that. Yeah, I've been debating um, doing some live streams of workflow processes for people just starting out. You know, um, maybe at some point I'll do that here on the podcast, just doing like live video screen shares of okay, here's how you do Facebook, here's how you do Lightroom, here's how you do that. So it might be fun. I'm sure, I'm sure some people would really um, gain from that. Yeah. Comment down below, guys, if you want that. Hit me up. Let me know. Um, and finally, S for success. How do you measure success? And more importantly, how do you celebrate it? How do you um, stop and enjoy it for a minute? Because I have found over and over again that I think we as artists will do things and go for you know, these goals, and then not take the time to um, acknowledge when we've accomplished something. We just kind of gloss over it and keep going. And uh, I was reading recently that that's like um, zeroing out, the the book called it. Um, And I thought it was a fabulous idea. It was like when you have this goal, say your goal is to reach um, 10,000 fans. I'm just picking a random number, right? And you hit it and then you change your goal to a hundred thousand, but you don't stop and celebrate it. You the fact that you accomplished your first goal. Yeah. Yeah. It zeroes it out and it doesn't acknowledge it. And then you can get burnout faster because of that. Absolutely. And, um, there's two components of that, um, celebration. Yeah. Um, keeping in mind that, um, I'm an agent rather than an artist. Okay. Yeah. So, um, first part of it is when the samples come in, when somebody's done a, a successful collection, mm-hmm. there's we all refer to it as it's Christmas time. 
Um, it's like we're getting all these cool, neat little toys. Now, they'll come through here and then we'll send them out to the artist. Um, but that's fun. That's a fun celebration. It's like, okay, great. They, they worked hard on this and this is great. Yeah. You know, and the second part of it is from an agent standpoint is financial success. You know, you want to be able to know that all the work that you and the artist put into it do have a financial return. Yeah. Um, that's not everybody's um, goalpost, but to a lot of people it is. Um, being well, you got to be able to pay the bills. You got to be able to pay the bills. So that's another thing that you need to um, measure success is that, you know, they did the hard work and here's the return for it and celebrate that. Yeah. Good deal. Very good deal. Well, Julie, this has been a fun and very informative podcast, in my opinion. Well, I hope so. I hope there's some nuggets in there that'll help somebody. Oh, I learned a lot. So thank you. Um, so if somebody wanted to get in contact with you, what is your website? It is www.arts, as in arts, A-R-T-S, D as in design, G as in group.com, A-R-T-S-D-G.com. Very cool. Thank you so much for being on, and I appreciate it. No worries. Enjoyed. <laughs> it went fast. <laughs> it does. It does. Hold on the line for one moment. Do you want to learn how to make money with your art, but you're a little bit pressed for time and you don't have time to listen to every single episode? Well, we've made a free download for you at how to make money with your art.com. You can get your free download and it includes the top four things you need to do today to start making money with your art. So if you want to learn how to make money with your art, but you're pressed for time, get the free download over at how to make money with your art.com. All one word, no spaces, all spelled out. That's how to make money with your art.com. Get your free download now.